Hey guys, Ryan Dement, True Podcast. I hope you're having a great day. Another week in the books. Some crazy stuff going on in the world when it comes to politics, which, be honest, I could care less about. But it does affect our lives, so I will jump into a little bit this week. I am going off the beaten path. This week, we're going to talk about millennials and the housing market and how they're different. We're going to talk about some forbearance, and we're going to talk about how politics is taking money out of your pocket. I know it's off the beaten path a little bit, guys, but stay tuned. I'll tie it all together. All right, guys, the housing data, housing market for millennials, can they relate or not? Unfortunately, millennials, and if I'm speaking to you as a millennial, I'm sorry, but you guys have been a little bit of a guinea pig experiment for society in the sense of you guys had to go through the student loan debt uh, debacle. You're now having to deal with housing shortages And also, you guys are the largest population outside of baby boomers, which are are behind you now. And now you guys are at a point in your life where you've gone from, I don't want to rent anymore because I'm wasting my money, to I want to buy a house, but I've been priced out of the market or where I want to live because there is a shift from major cities like New York and San Francisco to cities like Austin, Texas, to where Austin, Texas, in the last year, saw almost a 40% increase in housing prices. So how, as a first-time homebuyer in their 30s and early 40s, going to be able to buy a home and be able to afford it? Probably going to be tough, but... The words that are going to come out of my mouth you might not like, you need to find an up-and-coming neighborhood. And what I mean that is maybe it doesn't have the best houses in it as it stands now, but if you see development occurring within a block or two or maybe even on the block where there's a developer that's changing the block over a period of time, maybe that's your in to be able to start with buying that house You get to create it the way you want it. You get to make the blueprint, should I say, and be able to make it your own, but at the same time, it's affordable and reasonable. Here in Phoenix, where I'm at, millennials are flocking here, and the home prices have skyrocketed to where some homes have increased $100,000 in six months, which is crazy and should not happen. And I I feel your pain. I, I understand what you guys are going through. But the thing that needs to happen in all this process is you're going to have to give up a little bit to get a house. And if you're not willing to do that, the housing market is bearing another side to it which is rentals. You can go live in an apartment complex or I'm starting to see now townhomes that are popping up in developments that are all they are is rentals here in the Phoenix market. So there are options for you, 
but you have to decide what are you willing to sacrifice continue to pay rent and get nothing for it kind of flushing it down the toilet or can you do a little bit of a twist and find an up-and-coming neighborhood that is actually being revitalized and changed over a period of time to where you could live there, get your house, make it your own, put your stamp on it, live there for five to six years as you grow and have a family, and then find something that's larger in a different neighborhood where then you potentially could make that house a rental or you can turn around and sell it and make a few dollars. But the one thing that you have to remember that you, you've got to look at is the dollars and cents. If it makes no sense, it, it's not going to make you any money. And the housing market right now does not make any sense, especially with the craziness that we have with the supply chain, the just-in-time crap that we've put over the years to where now you've got tons of lumber sitting out there and you can't move the lumber quick enough to market to actually build a house in less than nine months, at least here in Phoenix. But what you, what you can do as a millennial and what you can do as a first-time homebuyer is decide that you're willing to move into that, that neighborhood that's up and coming. You will be able to find something nice there that you can rehab or have a general contractor do if you're not handy and make it your own. And then from there, you can grow from that. But jumping right into a hot market like this is going to be difficult, if not impossible. Or the other side of it is you continue to rent, wait it out. The market will correct. I'm not saying it's it's not, but I'm also not saying it's going to crash because there's still a housing shortage out there. There's still demand, but the demand is going to fluctuate based upon what the Fed is saying right now. And the Fed is saying they're going to start raising interest rates. Well, if you start raising interest rates, your money's already stretched already. Now your money is getting even further stretched to where that dollar is now becoming rubbery. And you don't want that. So two options. Find an up-and-coming house in a neighborhood that's up-and-coming or continue to rent and wait the market out. But don't jump into the crazy market and think that you can take it on and you're going to beat it because right now it's hot every market's different i can tell you that phoenix is hot still seeing some standing inventory here but people are still overpaying even though interest rates are low last week we talked about mortgage forbearance and how that is going to impact the housing market going down the road and there are a crap load of articles out there that are predicting that there's going to be more houses leaving forbearance and going to the foreclosure process or being sold uh, than what people think. I'm here to tell you, and I'll stick with my guidance, half a million to 1.1 million over a period of time, six months to 12 months, because they're all entering at different times of the year because they all entered at different times of the prior year or even in late 2019, early 2020. 
And this first wave that's coming in is 400,000 that are going to be exiting forbearance, which their first pa- their first payment is due October 1st. What percentage of those are going to come to the market? No one knows because this is the first time we've actually done this. But if you take any type of realistic numbers, let's say 20%, you're talking 80,000 properties that potentially can come to the market. I'd say that's a safe bet. And with 80,000 coming to the market, the market demand, if, if interest rates stay low and housing doesn't go crazy and continue to spike in median price, you're still going to have enough demand there to where you're going to get some buyers into the market that were not there before. The challenge in all this is, if these houses come to the market in the forbear, excuse me, in the foreclosure process or in the deed in lieu process, to where they're going to try to sell them quick in the market, whether it through the court system or through a pocket listing or through a, a general listing with a realtor, more than likely they're going to be priced a little bit below the market to move them quickly because they've been on the books too long without payments. So they want their money. So they're going to start a little bit low and they're going to try to drive that price up. If enough of those come to market that way, look out for the new home builders, which are artificially propping up their prices by controlling the amount of houses that they're building and doing blind bids. They will start seeing an impact on their side because people are going to look for a better deal and a better home priced for them to where they're not actually getting somewhat shafted on the price because right now the new home builders are are the game because they're the ones that can pump out the houses there's not enough resale homes coming to the market so new new builders new home builders are keeping their prices artificially spiked by controlling the amount of houses that they're building and here in phoenix we're starting to see standing inventory on the new home builder side. And this is at the higher end, Toll Brothers. They're over 600000 for uh, a two-bedroom, sorry, three-bedroom, two-bath. And then you can add on a in-law suite. And I think that gets closer to seven. I'm not sure. I don't keep track of it. It's not in my price range, so I don't worry about it. But those houses, when I first moved into the neighborhood, were in the high fours, low fives. So you're over $100,000 in a matter of about nine months. That's crazy. So these properties, homeowners that are coming out of forbearance in October, let's see how they play out. We'll start seeing delinquencies start hitting the 30, 60, 90 by the end of the year. And we'll also start seeing the amount of homeowners either listing their properties or walking away. But I think a safe bet would say is 80,000 out of this first wave in October will come to the market in the next 60 to 90 days. And then in November, we'll see another wave. And I think that's going to be in the two to 300,000 range. So we'll stay tuned once we get those details. But the market will be able to absorb these going forward. And the market is not going to crash because these are being inundated. There's just not enough. 1.5 million households, and they're coming out over time. So there's a lot of 
leeway when it comes to that. Some of these people might have some extra runway to where they stay in forbearance longer. But the one thing I have to say, and I'll go on to the next subject, is the longer these people have not made a payment, the harder it is to make that first payment. Period. And they'll have some challenges coming out. So let's see if it's 20%, 10%, 5%. Stay tuned. Last but not least, guys, one of my four-letter words that I love so much, politics. And let me add one thing in there, money. Politics and money. I know we are off the beaten path. And I typically don't jump in the arena of politics, nor do I want to jump into the arena of politics because your politics is yours, mine is mine. But the one thing that I'm starting to see now is we are not paying attention to the big I word, inflation. And it's starting to really eat into our budgets and our pockets. And the thing that I've got to say is you've got to pay attention to that because if you don't, it's going to eat you alive. And it's costing us more and more every single day when you go to the grocery store, when you go buy gas, uh, when you're buying anything that you need for your household, it's costing more. And with the whole supply chain issues that we have, there's now a tracker that you can track how many ships are hanging off the port of Los Angeles or whatever port you want to track to know here are the issues. And right now, 52 or 54 container ships are hanging off the coast uh, of California that can't get in because the price of containers to be unloaded has gone from $5,000 to $20,000 per container. So where does that money go? Somebody pays it, and then that money gets passed on to who? To us. And we get screwed in all this. And the money dynamics are at play here to where we have to be able to start adjusting these items. And when I say items, shipping, uh, purchases, Uh, supply and demand all have to come back in line because they're totally out of whack. And oh, by the way, things are starting to crash within the economy. I read a story or heard a story about a trucking supply company or, or sorry, trucking factoring company that went bankrupt last week. And it's one of the larger factoring companies. So what happens is independent drivers, truck drivers, They typically don't get paid for 90 to 120 days down the road from the larger players like Walmart or Costco or whoever you can think of that's large. Well, they have to get paid. They cannot get paid for 120 days. So inner factoring companies, and they basically take a percentage of what you bill as their cut for them to float you that money during that time. And then once you get paid, they they take their piece and they're done. Well... Truckers can't factor that and they're running without cash. What's going to happen to the supply chain? It's going to shut down because truckers can't run on the road without capital. They need the capital to put diesel fuel into their trucks and to maintain them uh, or any other costs that they need while they're doing their job. That's all being taken away because of this. But the pressure is being put on from the level of And I say this, money, 
and politics. They're both together because we're sitting here talking about a $3.5 trillion uh, infrastructure package, which who knows how much is infrastructure. I'm not going to get into that. But at some point, we can't keep on pushing down free money to us and expect that there not be any ramifications. We're starting to become too much of a give-me-the-money society from the government and expect it to turn out well. The government is not the best party to be depending on. When does the government do it right? Whether you're left or right, there's plenty of times you bet you, I bet you you can come up with where it was just wrong altogether. So why continue to depend on a entity like the government for a paycheck or to to supplement your pay or to keep you in your house when ultimately it's just kicking the can down the road for an ultimate demise of x which could be losing your house or losing your job or not getting that paycheck from the federal government because they ran out of money you have to be able to to create your own economy, and what does that look like? And what can you do to do that and protect yourself? We can talk about that in a future podcast. I'm not going to get into that because that's, that's, that's a very long uh, conversation. But the one thing that I wanted to, to talk to you guys about, politics and money don't mix. They don't match either. And if if you continue to allow them to interact with one another and intertwine, we're just going to put ourselves in a worse position than we are today. And I don't know where that'll take us. I don't want to go down that road. We've got to turn this ship around and get it right. All right, guys, enough for this week. I hope you guys have a great productive week. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Have those conversations interact, engage, be healthy, and I'll see you guys on the next episode. Have a good one.